This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. It is Tuesday, November 21st, and Thanksgiving is days away. We're talking turkey, or more accurately, Twins baseball, with Rhett Bollinger, our Twins reporter for MLB.com. And, uh, Rhett, we thank you for the time today. We were uh, off last week as you were uh, somewhere sunny and warm, I hope. Uh, where were you last week, Rhett? I was actually in Europe. So uh, wow. some places were sunny and warm. I, you know, I was out in Amsterdam and uh, Munich were a little bit colder, but it was nice and sunny and warm in uh, Greece. Got out to Athens, which was great. Very nice. So you've had a, a heck of a couple of weeks here. You, you got to go to a lot of uh, playoff games in L.A. and then about a week or so in Europe. Do I have that right? <laughs> yes, that is right. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be home for L.A. Uh, for Thanksgiving as well. So it's kind of yeah. bouncing around a little bit here. But then, yeah, uh, I'll say. And then winter meetings and all that, too. But otherwise, yeah, I'll be out in Minnesota. It, it never slows down, does it? But uh, no, that never. is <laughs> the life we live. That's the life we're used to. So Rhett, uh, let's talk some twins here. Like I said, uh, since we were off last week, I did not have a chance to uh, give kudos to uh, Paul Molitor for winning AL Manager of the Year honors. Had some uh, pretty stiff competition in uh, Terry Francona and uh, A.J. Hinch, but it's uh, Molitor that comes away with the award. When you look back at the 2017 season and the entire body of work from Molitor, what was the most impressive aspect of the job he did in getting this team to the postseason to exceed everybody's expectations? That's a great question. I think it's kind of just his leadership style in general. I think he's one of those guys never gets too high or too low, a uh, very stoic, very smart guy, obviously had an impressive uh, playing career that players are all respect. Um, so I think it's that universal respect that he has. And, uh, and I think, too, even the fact that, you know, when they made those trades uh, in, you know, at the deadline there, trading away Kinsler and Garcia, I think some other teams might have, you know, thought that, you know, okay, well, the front office doesn't believe in us and maybe cave from there. But instead, I think Balder showed some resolve, and, you know, had that meeting with the guys saying, hey, guys, there's no retreat, no surrender. Let's, uh, you know, let's just – Keep keep going, keep winning, and keep uh, kind of shutting out the critics in a sense. And sure enough, it kept happening. So uh, that impressive August to win 20 games uh, was, you know, just very very impressive to be able to bounce back like that after making those trades and having that little slide there in late July. Um, I think the players just really respond to him, and I think he did a better job this year too with uh, you know the bullpen and some of that stuff. Just kind of he's gotten more experience now in his third year. Um, so I think he kind of put it all together there. But I think the biggest thing he kind of has is just that kind of. You know, the guy doesn't kind of even keel, I guess, personality. And I think that kind of gets reflected in the team. I don't think the, tw- the Twins had a longer uh, losing streak all season, I think three or four games the entire year. So um, it kind of reflected his personality. I think that was kind of the way he kind of led this team. And, and sure enough, uh, you know, going from a team that was expected not to make the playoffs at all uh, after losing 103 games to, to making the postseason uh, was a pretty incredible feat. And I think that in that sense, uh, the voters got it right. It was a very tough uh, crowd, you know, Francona, an incredible winning streak that the uh, Indians had, and Hinch uh, leading the Astros to the best record, and obviously they ended up, uh, you know, winning the World Series, but that was, you know, was before the, the balloting. But I do think the voters got it right, and Mauder deserved it. Um, I do think a lot of it just kind of goes down to his overall personality uh, leading that club. 
And Rhett, uh, from what you've uh, seen and heard from Paul Molitor, uh, not just this past season, but uh, in his three total seasons in Minnesota, is he the kind of guy, you know, you brought up uh, the trades made at the deadline and how that might have been perceived as the front office waving the white flag and saying we're not going to be a playoff team. Let's try to get some pieces in place for a 2018 run. But is Molitor the kind of guy that would, you know, give a rah-rah speech or really get the guys fired up, or does, is he – a little more quieter. Is, is he more of a lead-by-example guy and trying to convey to his team that, you know what, we may have lost some key pieces here, but by no means are we going to give in? I, I guess where where does he fall more on the personality scale? He's definitely not really much of a rah-rah guy. I think Ron Gardner kind of fit that mode a little bit more, kind of more excitable and, and more of a rah-rah kind of, you know, go-get-him kind of guy. And even in the way that Ronnie's getting thrown out of games all the time, too, you see that personality a little bit more than, uh, than Mauder. Mauder's much more reserved. And I said, I think kind of stoic and even keel is kind of the way I look at him. Um, I do think, you know, he, he can certainly uh, mix it up a little bit and even can use his humor to his advantage. He's actually a pretty funny guy for being somewhat, uh, you know, a little bit more stoic like that. But um, I think that the meetings probably weren't so much fire, you know, fiery, you know, rocking type things. It was more just kind of like getting in the you know, room and letting the guys know, hey, we're still in this, kind of lift everybody up. Uh, but I don't think he's a real, like, kind of fiery speech type of guy. But I think the biggest thing with him, though, too, is that because he is a little bit quiet and a little bit more reserved and the fact that he is so smart the way that he, you can tell when he talks, he's very thoughtful. He's always thinking about what he's going to say. And I think the fact that, like I said earlier, that, you know, being a Hall of Fame player, you know, playing 22 years, you know, getting, what, 3,300 hits, I think that the players just kind of have this universal respect for him. When, when Paul Mauder talks or he enters that room, the players all, you know, respect that and kind of listen in and tune in, especially to him. He, he definitely has uh, that clubhouse. Uh, their ear, in a sense. You know, sometimes, you know, managers hear that term, but manager loses the clubhouse or players don't respect the manager or don't really listen. With Mahler, that's not the case at all. All the players in there uh, 100% respect him and understand just how good of a player he was. But more than that, just his personality, I think, they really cling to and kind of really enjoy the fact that he's not someone that, you know, through a long season that gets too uh, too high or too low, which is something good for a baseball team when he, when he had that many games. And you can always have those little mini streaks within a season. Yeah, well, he is in some uh, big-time exclusive company now uh, with this managerial win because he joins uh, Frank Robinson, the only Hall of Famers in baseball history to have also won uh, Manager of the Year honors. Of course, Robinson doing so years ago at the helm of the Orioles and Molitor now after a Hall of Fame playing career doing so at the helm of the Twins. And uh, the future of the team is certainly in good hands uh, with Paul Molitor, that is for sure. Rhett, let's move on. Uh, on Monday, the uh, Hall of Fame ballot announced uh, for 2018, and uh, there we see former twin Johan Santana, uh, the two-time Cy Young winner in 2004 and 2006, and uh, within uh, that was within a five-year stretch of top five finishes in the Cy Young vote, extending to 2008 before he called it a career following the uh, 2012 season. So, Rhett, quite simply, how do you like Johan's chances? It could be a little tough for him just because, you know, the longevity part of it. I think he only pitched part of 12 seasons, uh, had the injuries at the end of his career there once he went over to the Mets. He had the one uh, really great year with the Mets. I think he finished in the top three uh, in the Cy Young voting in the NL. And it was also an all-star one year there, too. But we know they had a lot of the injuries there and shoulder problems. Attempted a couple late comebacks, including with the Orioles there late before more injuries happened. Uh, but it was an incredible career. I mean, you look back at it when he was uh, the Twins ace, it was hard to really find – uh, really, anybody who was much better than him in baseball at that time. You know, his changeup was one of the best pitches uh, in recent memory, uh, getting a lot of strikeouts and was effective. Uh, he was kind of that guy every five days. The Twins knew they pretty much had a, a win. You know, he was just uh, as dependable as they come. Uh, wasn't a guy that pitched, you know, too deep into games and was throwing too many pitches. They definitely did a good job. I felt like the Twins did at the time of protecting his arm. 
Um, as we know, it didn't really happen. It didn't really work out so much uh, at the end there in his career. Um, but at, the, at his peak, like I said, there was really no equals. And he really was one of the best pitchers of his generation at his peak. It's just I just don't know that he had the longevity to go with it. I'm curious to see how the voters look at him. We know that there's a lot of other really strong candidates on the ballot. So maybe if he can get enough to stick around and maybe warrant some consideration later, maybe when the ballot gets a little bit lighter. Um, but as of right now, it's just a big ballot again. that It's going to be tough to see him uh, getting in, especially without, you know, you know, he's not close to 300 wins or anything like that. A lot of the big benchmarks of a long career, uh, he didn't quite get to. Um, but I think at his peak, he was as good as they get. So certainly, you know, someone you can look at as, as someone that had a case just because he's such a good player at his peak. But I do think that overall, uh, just not enough uh, overall, you know, longevity or years probably to, to get too much serious consideration. I think that's the consensus that the uh, longevity part of the equation is going to work against him. But, uh, you know, Rhett, having said that, I always, I've always felt like, and I'm not sure if you agree with this, but I've always felt that he's been a tad overlooked when you look at the, the pitchers who've put together dominant stretches within the past two decades. Now, I'm not saying that he's at the level of a Pedro or a Randy Johnson or a Greg Maddox or someone of that ilk, but as we've pointed out, between 2004 and 2006, the two Cy Youngs, a top three finish uh, sandwiched in between, he might have been the best pitcher in baseball during that time. So do you still feel that he's a little shortchanged in the uh, recognition department when you look back at the pitchers who had truly dominant stretches over the past, say, 15 or 20 years? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I think you can make a case that he could have won more than those two Cy Youngs. You look at some of those voting those years uh, back before we got really you know into the advanced metrics, I think maybe it would have been a little bit more uh, on your inside. He didn't really walk batters at all, stretch out a ton of batters. Uh, wins, you know, he got some wins with those teams that had some decent offenses at the Dome, but it wasn't like they were, you know, huge offenses that were giving him a ton of run support and he was running away with it. Um, but, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think you don't really think of him sometimes in the way you look at the Randy Johnsons or even the Roy Hallidays of that era, too. Um, but I, I think that he's, he's definitely in that – he was certainly in, within that class of uh, upper echelon guys. Like you said, if you have – you know, two Cy Young Awards within a three-year span and that many of the top, you know, three to five finishes in that span, you know, they have that kind of consistency. He was easily one of the best pitchers in the American League, if not the top pitcher of that little three- to five-year window. So, yeah, I think in terms of peaks, he might some fans might have forgot about it. Maybe that's just because the Twins are a little bit small market. But um, but he really was uh, an elite uh, starting pitcher and as much of an ace as he could possibly be at that point. Yeah, I mean, for in that time period, uh, 04 to 06, he was as good as they come. And, you know, maybe the Hall of Fame is, is a long shot right now, but maybe in 10 years we're, we're having a different discussion. But uh, he certainly got the cr- uh, credentials to at least be considered, and we'll see what kind of a voter response he gets in year one on the ballot uh, coming up in 2018. Rhett, to uh, come down the stretch, I had the pleasure, uh, the immense pleasure, of beating Byron Buxton the other night uh, in Manhattan for the Legends for Youth Banquets uh, presented by the Players Alumni Association. Uh, been quite a few weeks for Byron. Uh, wins his first career gold glove amidst some uh, heavy competition in center field, and he was uh, the Twins nominee for the Heart and Hustle Award. That ultimate, uh, ultimately went to Brett Garner of the Yankees. But nonetheless, you know, in, in talking to this guy in person, I had to remind myself that he's only, you know, 23, if that. I'm not quite sure. He's definitely uh, in his early 20s. And uh, it just felt like I was talking to a guy that was, you know, a, a 10-year veteran who's been there and done that before and just very well-spoken, very poised. And I'm guessing that in your dealings with him that uh, you had the same impressions of him that I had when I talked to him. Yeah, absolutely. Byron's as good of a person as you can ever meet. Uh, I think even when he was struggling early in his career, I always thought, you know, with his head on his shoulders, he always had a really good chance of turning it around just because uh, he's such a smart guy. 
so thoughtful with his answers, but you can tell he really wants it. He works so hard, too. That's the thing. You know, he's not someone that's loafing out there or taking, you know, you know with his talents, he's taking advantage of those in a sense. I do think he obviously put a lot of pressure on himself early in his career, being the number one overall prospect the way he was for so long. Um, and, it, you know, it didn't really work out for him early on in his major league career. I think that kind of got to him a little bit. But I think once he kind of cleared his head and started having fun again, uh, it really took off for him this year and even late last year. Um, but personality-wise, they say you're not going to meet a harder worker. You're not going to meet a nicer person. You know, he's raised right in, uh, in Georgia. Even when he first got drafted, it was all every answer he had for us was yes, sir, or no, sir. And he was almost to the point where he was too polite as, a, as an 18-year-old he first was drafted and was very shy. Um, but I think the people have really helped him in his career, including Torrey Hunter, kind of being that mentor and helping him kind of break out of his shell a little bit, become better with the media, become better with his teammates. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's universally beloved in that clubhouse. The players all love him. He's emerging into a leader. Uh, he's become much more vocal. Um, and just meeting him, he's an impressive person. He really is, like you say. He just couldn't be any nicer. He's fun to talk with about anything, whether it's, you know, obviously baseball stuff, but even just life stuff, talking about his time in Georgia and, and racing his brother and racing his dad and his love for Georgia football. I mean, he really is just a, a really good person. And uh, so it's exciting to see him really have the year that he had because he knew how much hard work went into it. And he knew, you know, so many fans – out there at first, they know, you know, Byron might be a bust or those kind of things like that. I think it really kind of got to him. And for him to really break out and show that uh, he's not a bust whatsoever. And like you said, he's still so young. He's only 23 years old. Uh, and, and to win his gold glove and, you know, the platinum glove as well as the best overall defender in the majors, uh, the Wilson Award is the best defensive player. So I mean, he had so many accolades this offseason. And we saw what he hit in the second half, too, uh, putting it all together. He really is just a, kind of a one-of-a-kind kind of talent. And I do think that a lot of it comes from his personality because he is such a easy to go on with person and someone that definitely can become a leader for this franchise. And I'll tell you what, uh, one of the coolest uh, photo ops uh, during the night was uh, seeing him with uh, Burt Blylevin, who got a Lifetime Achievement Award. It was uh, Twins Past and Twins Present and Future. And, of course, uh, Burt's a 1987 world champion with the Twins, and he's hoping that Byron can take that torch and uh, get another world title uh, to the Twin Cities here before long. That was certainly a, a neat moment there between the two of them. Uh, Rhett, before we let you go, two-part question. Uh, your Thanksgiving plans and your favorite Thanksgiving fixin'. I ask this every year, so have at it. Oh, perfect. Well, I'm going to be uh, home in Los Angeles visiting my family. Uh, going to see my grandparents. I mostly see uh, a lot of my mom's side and my dad's side as well here. Um, so it'll be nice to see both of my grandparents and all my cousins and family and uh, just kind of relax a little bit and uh, see some friends over the weekend from back home before heading back to Minnesota. My favorite dish, you know, obviously you got to love the turkey. It's always good with the gravy, but for some reason I'm one of those weirdos that likes I like the green bean casserole for whatever reason. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I just like green beans, and I love the kind of the crunchiness in there, too. Um, so I always go big on a green bean casserole and then uh, get some of the turkey and mashed potatoes and, and all the gravy and all that. But definitely, for some reason, the green bean casserole is my favorite. And then, of course, dessert, too, and some of the chocolate pie and all that we always have is uh, definitely up there for me as well. Can't go wrong with any of that. Uh, yeah, all the above. That is uh, wonderful there. So, uh, Rhett, to you and yours, a happy Thanksgiving and a happy Turkey Day to all the Twins fans out there. And we will, we will do this again soon following the holiday. In the meantime, it's Matt Waymar signing off for MLB.com Extras, Minnesota Twins. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 